Welcome to Life on Planet Earth with John Aiden Byrne. For many centuries, almost everyone in the Western world knew and believed that God exists. Belief in God was the norm. But nowadays, unbelief has become the norm. That is what our culture has done to us, as we mentioned earlier, but also what science has done to us, because scientists very often consider themselves final authorities in everything. And that is a, a big misunderstanding. They are not authorities in everything. Science cannot cover everything. For everything that is not material, is not a scientific issue. So how can we prove that God exists? You, you said already that we cannot use a microscope to find the square root of number four. That is not possible. We have to uh, face the fact that uh, we need something else. If we want a proof, don't expect science to prove it. And as I explain in my book, science can basically not prove anything in a strict sense. It can only make things reasonable, beyond reasonable doubt. You were just listening to part of my interview with Dr. Gerard Fershuren. He is a scientist, writer, speaker, and consultant at the interface of science, philosophy, and religion. He is a human geneticist, and he's my guest coming up. A voyage of discovery in an uncommon age of unparalleled scientific, economic, political, and social upheaval, Life on Planet Earth searches for the unvarnished truth, answers, solutions, and above all, hope for our existential crisis. I hope you're all doing well out there. My guest is Dr. Gerard Fershuren. He is a prolific writer, a Catholic scientist. He has written many, many books. He'll tell us during this interview. I brought him on to my show to prove that God exists. And as sometimes happens, we had some, I'm not sure what we will call this well, let's call it earth-shattering reminders of a very evil person called Adolf Hitler. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. Possessed is the right word. He was even initiated into satanic forces. He, he became a member of groups. They initiated people into the evil forces. He was actually initiated and received through that initiation some powers from evil satanic forces. And uh, you can actually prove that in his uh, um, data we have about him, that he became part of that group. Maybe you have ever heard of Blavatsky. She was uh, originally Jewish, but became an, an atheist in Russia. And she influenced his, him very much. He, he read her books. Sherlock, it's grand to have you back. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? 
Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Dr. Jared Fershuren is my guest. He is the author of A Catholic Scientist Proves God Exists. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. Well, you're very welcome to the show, Doctor. It's my pleasure. You're a very well-informed person. You've written several books. You're, I suppose, a retired professor. And you're now up in the bucolic and beautiful New Hampshire area. That's God's country. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So where were you teaching before you retired? Oh, I I taught at several colleges, mostly in Holland, recently in Boston College, which should mean something to you as as an Irish person. Oh, absolutely. Boston College, we we would know that place fondly. Yeah, but as uh, um, Peter Kreeft, uh, another Dutchman, by the way, used to say about Boston College, the Boston College is a Jesuit college, but that doesn't mean it's a Catholic college. Oh. Unfortunately, that is a verdict nowadays that we hear a lot about Catholic colleges in the United States. Not to put too fine a point on it, uh, cloak and dagger stuff here. Uh, sorry, could you repeat your question one more time? A little bit of fun on and pun, cloak and dagger stuff when you mention Boston College. Yeah, yeah, I asked for trouble, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to have a sense of humor when we're talking about faith. You're from the Netherlands originally. Yes, I am. So both of us have accents, and but you know, when I meet people on the streets in New York and they're strangers, they say, oh, you've got the Irish brogue. So when they meet you, did they say you have a Netherlands brogue? Yeah. Here, when I was teaching here, they, they used to think that I had a Scottish brogue. Oh. Yeah. I, I don't know where that came from. But <laughs> but I must say the northern part of the Netherlands, it's called Friesland, uh, that it, it has its own language. I, I don't speak that language, mm. but they always say that is very close to Scottish. So probably somehow that got through my upbringing into my accent. You were raised Catholic in the Netherlands. Uh, oh, yes. Tell us a yeah. real bit, a quick bit about that and how big is the Catholic population and the Christian population more generally and how is the practice of faith um, back in the I, homeland, I your homeland? I I don't have numbers available at this point, but what I can tell you is that when I left the Netherlands, which was in uh, in the 1990s, um, the Netherlands was in a very bad shape. And um, practically most Catholics had left the church, didn't go to church, of course. So I, I must say they compare it with Ireland. Ireland had at one point the highest number of missionaries and Holland did too. We had so many missionaries, but most of them left the Catholic Church after Vatican II, unfortunately. Somehow they thought that gave them a ticket to do whatever they wanted. So in general, I am very you know, very negative about the church in Holland, but I know the Holy Spirit keeps working and will make sure that it stay that way. Sometimes we need to go through a deep valley in order to climb the mountain again. And I'm waiting for that moment. We won't spend the entire show talking about Vatican II. Maybe I'll have you back sometime, but you raised uh, an interesting point. 
Vatican II is blamed for a lot of today's problems in the church. I sometimes wonder, though, was there a cultural change happening in the 60s that would have brought about this decline anyway? Yes, you have a good point there. There is definitely a change, and, and we, we don't live in isolation. So even if we try very hard, we, we get infected, I always say, by all the, the, the awful doctrines that surround us. Humanism, communism, socialism, and there are many other doctrines that have not done very well for us. So um, we are infected by it. And, and I, I must also say, unfortunately, uh, um, many priests haven't done a good job in their sermons to teach people what is right and what is wrong, not only in, in morals, but also in, in doctrine. So um, that's, that's part of the explanation too. But again, they are under the influence of Vatican II, or at least misinterpreted Vatican II. Pope Benedict always said, don't blame Vatican II. It is what the people did with it. And mm -hmm. they interpret interpreted everything in their own way. Anyway, that is a long answer to your question. No, and it's an interesting answer, and it's a very long topic. We just don't have enough time uh, to cover it because we're going to get into the main substance, if you will, of this show in a minute, your new book. Vatican II, just briefly, was a very big project. I'm sure the volumes of documents that came out of that, we couldn't put them on the back of a truck even, to disseminate all that intelligently and administer the changes I mean, that just takes a lot of smarts and it takes a lot of genius and maybe yes. it just didn't exist or the Holy Spirit uh, wasn't prevailed upon to do that. Yeah, but fortunately, the Holy Spirit also uses other Catholics to do that. And, and, and I hope the Holy Spirit inspired me to write so many books mm. uh, to, to help people to go back on the right track. But... That's not an easy task. Yeah. And that requires definitely the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I want to get into the substance of this show and why I brought you on. You're the author of A Catholic Scientist Proves God Exists. So I'm going to read from some notes here. You're challenging today's accepted wisdom in quotes. And you, as a Catholic scientist, you demonstrate that the question of whether God exists is not one science can actually answer. Indeed, that could be like expecting a microscope to reveal the square root of 16. I think you're getting to something here on faith matters. Can you bring me through that? Yes, what you just said is perfectly right. We are trying to solve uh, the problem of God's existence with scientific tools. First of all, they were not made for that purpose. And secondly, uh, God is not a material entity. So we cannot use a material tool, which science is, Science only is interested in what can be quantified, measured, numbered, but God is not one of those. Um, so if we want to prove that God exists, which is basically a, a weird undertaking for many centuries, almost everyone in the Western world knew and believed that God exists. Belief in God was the norm. But nowadays, unbelief has become the norm. 
that is what our culture has done to us, as we mentioned earlier, but also what science has done to us, because scientists very often consider themselves final authorities in everything. And that is a, a big misunderstanding. They are not authorities in everything. Science cannot cover everything. For everything that is not material, is not a scientific issue. So how can we prove that God exists? You, you said already that we cannot use a microscope to find the square root of number four. That is not possible. So we, uh, we have to uh, face the fact that uh, we need something else. If we want a proof, don't expect science to prove it. And as I explain in my book, science can basically not prove anything in a strict sense. It can only make things reasonable, beyond reasonable doubt. And it does that by confirming more and more. And history of science shows us that many times we had to uh, revise our theories. They are not always very final. Um, and I always mention the, the famous case of Max Planck, who was a famous physicist. When, when he was going to study physicists, all people told him, oh, don't do that. That's all. Physics is finished. Well, <laughs> This very man, Max Planck, just caused a revolution in physics. He came up with quantum theory, and ever since, many other things have come up. Science is not final. So forget about science. So if I may say how we can then come to a proof, we cannot use what science often works with, general statements. Uh, science says, for instance, all ga gases expand with increasing temperature. But they, in order to confirm that, they need more and more cases. And then there is always the, a clause involved that all the other constants are being kept stable. So that's not what proofs of God's existence work with. They don't work with general statements. In my book, I prove many times that the proofs of God's existence work with universal statements, not general statements that have to be confirmed and confirmed over and over again, but universal statements. One of them, and the most self-evident one, is the one that says everything that happens needs a cause, for nothing can make itself to happen. Nothing comes from nothing, as we all know. You cannot be your own father or mother. Have you ever tried that? It's not possible. So what are the universal statements that we can use for the proofs of God's existence? Well, nothing can make itself exist. I think that is so evident that no one can deny that. We don't have to do experiments for that. We don't have to go to the laboratory for that. Everyone knows that Nothing can make itself exist, for then it would have to exist before it came into existence, which is absurd. So that's where my starting point is. Let me just mention that throughout history, in earlier history, not in today's world as such or as much, um, which you've been one of the exceptions, maybe the few exceptions, some of the world's great scientists in the past were practicing and faithful and deep Catholics, some of the great inventions of our time, correct, yes. were brought about by scientists. So it's kind of interesting that way back when, 
science and religion intersected in that sense. Yes, but somehow we have lost that close relationship to religion. You mentioned already that most of them were real religious people. Uh, you know, Copernicus was very religious. Newton was very religious. They were all very religious. What has changed? Yeah, we discussed it already. Basically, uh, it's probably the Enlightenment. Enlightenment was a new development two, three centuries ago that says that everything is should be measured and everything should be numbered, numbered and quantified. But that is basically nonsense. Who, who declares that? Scientists? So nowadays... Many scientists are atheists. And the problem is that because they feel as scientists, they speak in the name of science and with the authority of science, that they can also declare that there is no God. That is going outside their territory, outside their expertise. They are in the wrong lane on the highway. So we, uh, we have to fight that. The, the, the most famous ones are, first of all, Dawkins. Uh, mm. he, is a, he is a real belligerent atheist. And he thinks that all he knows is everything there is. And somehow Hawking, the, 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 the physicist or astronomist, became also an atheist most of the time, though he has sometimes his own doubts and hesitations, not about God's, about the uh, existence of science, but about the existence of God. So that's where we are now. And what I try to do in my book, that God, The Proofs That God Exists, is to show that we can prove there is a God, not through science again, but we can prove it with general statements that are so evident that no one can refuse them. And that's where my task is, not only today, but also in my book. And in most of my life, I try to defend that there are proofs of God's existence, no matter what those atheists say. Most historians, or a lot of historians, and maybe a good percentage of scientists would agree that there was a person called Jesus who came on earth. Right? We can go on the historical records that there was somebody who was in Bethlehem, Jerusalem, all these places, and there was a crucifixion. So it's, it's a, a short leap from that to the idea of the divinity of Christ. Do you not think that might sometimes give these scientists pause when they realize, yeah, there was a person most people believe there was a person, most highly educated people who do their research and archaeologists. Does that not play into this somewhat? Then, of course, we're getting into the divinity of God. They could yes. argue, yeah, there was a Jesus, but you know what? He died. He never came back after three days. All these guys were hallucinating. Yeah, I, I, I don't think many people just deny that Jesus existed. Mm. Um, you know, yeah, you, nowadays we can deny everything. We can say there was no Holocaust. Uh, we can say there was never anyone on the moon, but we have really records for that. So we also have records that Jesus existed. Mm. But the, the difficult part is, was Jesus just a man or was he also part of God, the mm. Holy Trinity, the Son of God? And that is the part where we leave 
a, a lot of people behind. They don't follow us on that track. They say, sorry, I cannot go with you there because I do not believe there is a God. So Jesus could not be God. He could not be part of God. And there is no Trinity. I, I, I'm a little skeptical that that will get us far. We need more than that. And that's why I keep going for my proofs of God's existence, which came for a large part from Thomas Aquinas, the famous St. Thomas Aquinas. He, uh, he had five of those proofs of God's existence. Uh, several others had proofs of God's existence. I, uh, I always like to, to mention that Kurt Gödel, the famous Kurt Gödel, who, who, who was a, a very close friend of Albert Einstein, they, they walked at Princeton University every morning together to work and discussed everything. So Kurt, Kurt Gödel, who proved logically, mathematically, that systems that we make up can never be complete. We can never prove inside that system that the system is complete. We can never prove that uh, there is nothing missing. So he even came up with a proof of God's existence. Imagine a scientist who came up with a proof of God's existence, whether it's a valid proof. I, I will not go into that issue because it's a very technical discussion. But I do know that the five proofs of God's existence that Thomas Aquinas mentions, uh, that they have the power to prove that God must exist. And that's what I try to do in my book. I mention several of them, and I also mention one that was uh, basically defended by St. Augustine. And I don't think any of those proofs can be doubted or can be eliminated mm. or can be proved to be wrong. So that's where my book comes in. Can you give us a quick summary of those five or are the, are the top two or three that you're, are your favorites? I think I should mention first, because that is the most intuitive one, what Thomas Aquinas calls the argument from motion. Unfortunately, when we hear the word motion, we think of physics. We think of billiard balls on a pool table, golf course. That's not what that is about. For him, motion stands for cause. So he says everything that comes into existence must have a cause. Yeah in his terminology, emotion. But I think the word cause is, is, is more understandable for modern people. If everything that comes into existence must have a cause, then we, we can talk about how, how does that go. There are two kinds of causes, according to, uh, uh, to St. Thomas. Uh, first of all, there are temporal sequences of causes, linear causes. Let's say a father has two parents. Those parents have two parents, and we go back in time, in time, in time, in time, and they generated more parents and more parents. That is a temporal relationship between all those causes. Uh, but he also mentions, and that is much more important, an explanatory sequence. They, they are a hierarchy. In, in my book, I use the simple example, why is there a book on my shelf in a, in a bookshelf? Mm. because the shelf holds it there. It is not there on its own. But what holds the bookshelf in its place? The bookcase. Mm. What holds the bookcase 
in its place? What is the cause of that? It can't be its own cause, of course. It cannot hold itself up. So there must be a house, a floor that holds it up. And Thomas Aquinas says we cannot go on indefinitely for then we have nothing for that chain of causes to hang from or to be founded on. We need somehow a foundation for that chain to rest on. Or we need a bull, a beam where it hangs from. So what is that ultimate foundation? And Thomas Aquinas will say that is what he calls the primary cause. That must be a cause that is basically necessary, eternal, and does not need a cause of its own. All the other causes are only possible because of the primary cause. And that's why he calls them the secondary causes. You and me are secondary causes. Our parents are secondary causes. So where do we come from? Yeah, from our parents. Where do our parents come from? I, I, I don't care whether you believe in evolution or not. It could be from other animals. I don't know. But definitely we can only exist if there is a primary cause that keeps us in existence. And if that primary cause stops being the primary cause, which is never possible, of course, but it can at least stop our existence. That's when we die or that's when the world ends. But it had to begin somewhere. It's very amazing how uh, um, Albert Einstein thought for a long time that the universe is eternal. He really believed that very strongly. Eternal. You know? Eternal, yeah, that there was no beginning and no end to the universe until Father Lemaitre came along. He is the one, the physicist, Catholic physicist from Belgium, so I'm a little bit biased. <laughs> uh, he was a, a very religious man, of course, and he proved that there was a beginning of the world, a beginning of time, for time is also a physical entity. So it had to come, it's a secondary cause. So it had to come from a primary cause. Albert Einstein could not accept that for a long time. So he said uh, to Father Lemaitre, they talked a lot, he said, your uh, mathematics is perfect, but your physics is horrible. Mm. Later on, he apologized for that. He said to Father Lemaitre, you were right, there is a beginning of time and probably also an end of time, but uh, I was wrong with my eternal universe. The universe is not eternal. It had to be created with its time and space. And Einstein knew very well that time and space were part of the physical universe. Without the physical universe, we wouldn't have time or space. So there is that famous primary cause again. So, so Einstein, near the end of his life, believed in the presence and existence of God, and he was raised in the Jewish faith, and he argued back and forth with this famous priest. Yes, he uh, unfortunately, he was a, a little bit ambiguous on his faith in God. Though he were, had uh, Jewish origins, he, uh, he was very much influenced by Spinoza, the philosopher Spinoza, who was also a Jew from origin. Mm. But somehow Spinoza, was, uh, he was not what we call a theistic 
believer in God. He was a, more of a pantheist, that mm. everything is identical to God, which is, a, which is a kind of belief that is hard to defend, especially if you go by the proofs of God's existence. So mm. Einstein was always very ambiguous about it. That's why people always say, yeah, he defended mm. religion, and with that comes God, but in a in a very ambiguous way, unfortunately. Adopt US Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting a Teenager. Learning the Lingo. Jelly. Jelly adjective. Jelly is a shorter, better way to say jealous. As in, Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit AdoptUSKids.org, brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Dr. Jared Fershuren is my guest. He is the author of A Catholic Scientist Proves God Exists. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. It's interesting when you talk about God, because we could go back in time, millennium, and say there were pagans had their own gods. What kind of gods were they compared to what a Catholic would believe in? Did those gods have eternal life? It, it, it sort of would not jive with the Catholic understanding. I, I, I would say the pagan gods. Are and it seems the, like a contradiction they're pagans to begin with. So why would they have gods even? Uh, that I don't know. You have to ask them. <laughs> but I, uh, I, all I can say is that polytheism, to have many gods, is not possible in the way Thomas Aquinas used proofs of God's existence. Mm -hmm. He said there must be a necessary being that does not need a cause for itself. So the, the pagan gods, let, let's say Jupiter or Zeus, they, they were the most important gods. All the other gods were under them. And you might even say that uh, even Zeus or Jupiter were not really the gods. Fate was the god. They were at the mercy of fate. Uh, but can fate be a god? It can never be the, the primary cause that Thomas Aquinas talks about. Thomas's god is similar to, uh, it's not similar to any of the gods we know from paganism. It must be a being that is absolute, a necessary being, a first cause, a cosmic designer, a divine intellect, and none of the gods of paganism are existence itself or necessary beings or the first cause or cosmic designers or divine intellects. They are none of that. And besides, if Zeus were the primary cause of everything, then he is not really existence itself. He did not make himself. He did not make the other gods in a way. How did they come along? Mm, they don't really tell us. Well, well, isn't this something that Jesus laid out in his commandments? Uh, there's only one God. Thou shalt not have strange gods before thee. In other words, he was acknowledging and recognizing that there were pagan gods and other gods who were deified. Yes. He, uh, oh, yes. He was very aware of so, that. So I guess my follow-up to that, and it's connected, we're talking here about the God we understand in the Christian tradition and the Catholic tradition, three persons in the one God, is that correct? Yes, correct, correct. And, 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 and Christians and Jews 
would say that all the other gods are the pagan gods, let's say, are satanic forces. Mm. So th they give them some. Uh, so they're fish? satanic gods. That's a very key point. That's a, a fascinating way to look at this. Yes, they were. Uh, uh, they called them the fake god. Is the god Baal, B A A L, uh, that we find in the Old Testament, is definitely considered a pagan god. Even the the the, the adoration of snakes, which mm. we find in Egypt, for instance, snakes pagan gods, if they become uh, divine entities, they are not divine, of yeah. course. Well, they we're are, really getting into the idea of witchcraft and the occult here, and I would uh, urge listeners to listen to my recent interview with Father Stephen Rossetti, who's an exorcist in Washington, D.C., and he's just come out with a new book, Diary of an American Exorcist. And during that long interview... It's fascinating. He does talk about the rise of the occult and witchcraft, and I think he's referring to these false pagan gods to yes. pick up on your point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's, that's a good point you are making there and that he is making. They are satanic forces. And, and you know, that, that's why in the Old Testament, they say there is only one God, and the other gods are not God. They are satanic forces. And those don't underestimate those satanic forces. Um, I, I would say that people like Hitler were actually inspired by these pagan forces. And they received power from those forces because they, they do have, because they are fallen angels in the Catholic belief. And fallen angels are still angels. So they do have some power that the real angels have, but they use it for the wrong purpose, to take people away from God, to lure them away on the wrong path. Whereas the religious God, the real religious one, there is only one God, and all the others are fake gods. Would you say that Hitler was oppressed or possessed yes. by demons? Possessed is the right word. He was even initiated into satanic forces. He, he became a member of groups that, that used, um, um, yeah, I, I, I'm not very familiar with the terminology, but they, they, they initiated people into the evil forces. So he, um, he was actually initiated and received through that initiation, some powers from equal, from evil satanic forces. And, and you can actually prove that in his uh, um, data we have about him, that he became part of that group. Maybe you have ever heard of Blavatsky. She was uh, originally Jewish, but became an atheist in Russia. And she influenced his, him very much. He, he read her books and became basically a convert to paganism and to Satanism. And, uh, and I think some of his power came from there. He was supported by them. I always wondered how come people try to assassinate him so many times and he always evaded just at the right moment. Mm. So... Where did that knowledge come from? 
I don't think from God. It came from evil powers. And finally, because he was so evil, he committed suicide, we think. Yeah. Um, was he hostile to the Christian faith, Catholic oh, yeah. church? What was his relationship like? I understand he was raised Catholic or in the Christian tradition and he fell away. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was, he was, yeah, he was Catholic for a very short time. Uh, but first of all, it was not very deep. And, uh, and, and, and secondly, he, uh, when he fell away from all of that, he, uh, he, he really became a very convinced atheist. And his, uh, in his books and his memoirs, we, we find very clear indications of that. So back to your question, was he an evil force? Oh, I have no doubts about it. Did and, he have uh, a scientific, rational view of the world? I mean, he was into no. eugenics. And he ordered the slaughter of Jews, our brothers and sisters. He wrought terrible evil throughout the world. He wanted to dominate. He wanted his the Nazis to dominate global domination. Yes, but as a, a non-religious cook, he, uh, he was very, very much against the Catholic Church. He tried everything to block that out. And his, uh, one of his first people... Uh, said we have to root out Catholicism. We have to root out religion. And he agreed with that. But he, he, he was shrewd. So for a long time, he kept it looking like he was protecting the church, but definitely was not. As you know, Pius XII, uh, before he became Pope, he was, uh, uh, he, he was somehow involved with Germany. He was an ambassador there or whatever you want to call it. It was officially called a nuncius. And he tried to make a deal with Hitler to protect the church. But he also knew that Hitler was completely unreliable. So when uh, Hitler sent people to the Vatican, where the Nuncius was at that time, the uh, Nuncius refused to talk any further with him, for he knew that all the promises Hitler gave were completely unreliable. And so it was a real fight between good and evil, between the real gods and the satanic gods of paganism. For uh, Hitler was very much also influenced by Hinduism and by, um, you know, beliefs in that kind of gods. So forget about his Catholic background. It was a very short time on, in his life. I'm going to go out on a limb and ask you, do you think in today's world with all the moral problems we see, the moral collapse and uh, the discord in our society and in the West and everybody at loggerheads and leaders fighting each other, that some of our leadership at the top in politics and in government are possibly possessed, oppressed, that there's occult practices and evil forces at the I, highest levels of our society? I, I have no doubt about that. St. Ignatius of Loyola always said, and that is one of his most important points, there are two forces at work in this world. The good forces, inspired by God, and the evil forces, inspired by Satan. And that is not only in our own private lives, there are always two kinds of forces that try to lure us away, either from God or from the evil forces. So this is also the case 
on the global world network. Satan is working very hard to put as many people away from God and get them into hell or whatever you want to call that. But the good forces... It's not a very saying, pleasant place. We know that. <laughs> That's for sure. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have never been there and I hope to ne never be there. I don't so, plan to go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope so too, that I will never get there too. But, but you never know. Sometimes you could be surprised who you will find in heaven. Yes, yes, And people yes. that you thought wouldn't be there happen to mm. be there. Oh, gosh. Anyway, that is a, a, long, <laughs> a long story about a book that goes yeah. in, into God's existence. Well, I, I want to go back. I want to circle back to a few things to, to capture everything here. Your book gets into a lot of detail about this. And the God you speak about, presumably and realistically is the God of love, L-O-V-E, hard thing to define, but that's clearly what it is. It's not yeah. a, a pagan God. It's the God who brings joy. And I want to examine that real quickly as well. But you talked about cause and effect, and I'm reminded of what one famous philosopher brought up who is agnostic, atheist, call, call him what you want. And he said, uh, what what caused God to exist? That baffled him. And he said, I have no proof. Yeah. Thomas Aquinas is, is very explicit on that. His reasoning is not that everything that, uh, everything that exists must have a cause. He says everything that comes into existence must have a cause. God is existence itself. So he never came into existence. So that rule does not apply to God himself. We can never say to God, and what caused God? That is a, a stupid question. That is uh, like asking, what, what, what is a prime number? If, if I say that uh, a certain number is a prime number, I, I cannot ask, what is a prime number? Of course, that is per definition the case. God is existence itself. So he he's a necessary being. So he does not need a cause for himself. The first cause is a necessary being and does not need a cause for, to come in existence. For he never came into existence. The world came into existence. At one point, there was no yeah. universe. God has always been. He is eternal. I play, explain that in my book. He is eternal. He is invisible. He is all perfect. He is all powerful, all present all-knowing, all-good. And I explain that extensively in my book. And I would say to everyone who is wondering about that, mm -hmm. read that book. Read the book. Read it. Yeah. That is my... You, what do you make out of the Garden of Eden and the, uh, the, the fall and original sin and picking the yes. apple? Sorry, I, I'm going to, to skip that question for that okay. is a, a very long <laughs> one. And I, I have, yeah. and I have written many books on it. Okay. So I, I would, We have to have again, you back to discuss that. Yeah, exactly. That is a good point. Okay, well, it's the, the name of your book is A Catholic Scientist Proves God Exists. The publisher is... Sophia Institute Press. They publish terrific books. I, yes, they I've do. read some of them, and they're wonderful people over there. This question you've been asked numerous times, I'm sure, but your answer will help us all. Why do we have so much pain in the world? Everybody suffers if we have a loving God out there. 
I explained that extensively in my chapters. God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-perfect. So if there is evil, how can God be all-perfect, all-powerful, all-present? So again, I refer Read to the book. the book, for that would be a long explanation. And, uh, and, and I don't want to take the appetite away from okay. people to read the book. Well, I can see them already gone on Amazon, locking up and uh, dialing up and ordering your book. And I hope they do. So yes, it's a I good read. Too. But I, it's a I, good question we should ex- that should be oh, explored. And it will be explored in the book. But maybe you can address this. We seem to have much, much more evil in the world today. Just look at the riots we've had in the streets in America through the summer. No. Look at what's going on in Washington, D.C. On both sides, nobody's escaped some blame. People cite the moral collapse. Remember, remember those evil forces we talked about earlier? Yes. So those evil forces are also part of this world. And those evil forces decided if, if their very own free will, like we have a free will, they decided to go against God. And people have that same power. They are secondary causes, but in their decisions, they can become causes of their own. That's my how can we thing. reduce, how can we make this a more peaceful world? What's the solution as a Catholic and a, as a Christian? How can we reduce going, this level of discord? Going with the good force of God and fighting the evil forces of Satan. How do we do that practically? Following good morals, following good doctrine, following what the church tells us. That's mm. my short, very short answer. Just in the last while since I've been interviewing more religious and people in church circles, uh, a constant theme that comes up, and I never, I, I, I do believe in it, but I never thought of it as much until I interviewed them, was the power of prayer, how it can transform societies. Oh, the, the, the power of prayer definitely helps us to stay close to God instead of going with the evil forces. If you pray to Satan, what you do... If you pray to Satan and... We that's happening in our society. We read reports about it. Some people think it's fantasy, it's Hollywood, it's just a scary headline, but that's happening in our society. There are people praying to Satan, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's definitely true. But I say again, because of the proofs of God's existence, and then we are circling back to where we started, thanks to proofs of God's existence, we know that God exists and that he created us. We are secondary causes, and he gave us the freedom to become causes of our own, which is very important. And uh, Satan used that to become a force against God. And if we keep praying to God, we will just not go with the evil forces. As I said in the introduction uh, before we started our interview, you're a, a geneticist, I have a trouble with the pronunciation, with a doctorate in the philosophy of science. And yes. you've written how many books? Probably 40. Oh, my gosh. I'm getting through number one, and uh, I won't say I get through 40 by Christmas, but <laughs> I will start. Okay. Um, Call me when you have reached all 40. And we'll have another debate. Yeah, that'll be a while. Uh, (laughs) And the latest one is a Catholic scientist proves God exists. And doctor, thank you for this fascinating, intriguing, uplifting, inspiring interview and keep up the great work. 
Thank you, John. I, uh, I love your Irish uh, accent, and I hope you love my Dutch accent. <laughs> I love your Dutch accent. I think there's a little bit of a Scottish lilt there, as you explained. <laughs> okay, great. Take Thank care. you so much. You take okay. care, too. Thanks Bye-bye. for having me on your show. Thanks. You've been listening to Life on Planet Earth with John Aiden Byrne. To reach the host or learn about advertising or sponsorship opportunities, call 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com. That's 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com. 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com.